Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 63. You've asked for it, and so this week, we're looking at how a European cruise compares to cruises out of North America. Joining me on today's episode is Donald Cavanaugh from Ireland. Welcome to the show, Donald. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure. <laughs> on today's show, brought you on here because our listeners listened to an episode a couple weeks ago. We talked about... You know, the idea you actually wrote in about more European focus. And I know that, Donald, you and I both are big fans of CruiseCast, which is another podcast, great podcast by friends of mine. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that this podcast was equally paying attention, if you will, to the European theater. And, you know, I'll tell you, you know, Royal Caribbean is, is definitely going back into the European mode. And you alluded in your email that you sent in earlier, you know, that maybe it was a little more on the fence because Royal Caribbean invested quite a bit in Europe a couple of years ago. And that really didn't work out too well. But I really feel like they've really turned it around here, and they're starting to it's starting to pay back dividends. In fact, uh, they're making money here uh, as of the bookings that we saw earlier this year. So, Donald, you're you're a veteran of European cruises, and you've got an upcoming cruise on Liberty this season. Let's start with European cruises first. Let's let's start there. What is when when you look at a European cruise? How is it different than a cruise in North America? I've cruised the Caribbean once and we're about to go on our fourth European cruise now this coming weekend. I think the difference is, to my mind, my one Caribbean cruise was on Freedom out of Port Canaveral. And my perception of that cruise was it was relaxing. We went to to Labadee and just sat on a hammock and had a swim. And then we went to Ocherios. We climbed uh, Duns River Falls, did the, uh, the ruins in the park. Then we went to Grand Cayman, did the uh, the snorkeling and did the stingray. And then we went to Cozumel and did a uh, Chancanab Beach and did the, the Discover Mexico. But it was very relaxing. It was very much a matter of taking in the sun, doing some snorkeling, touching the water. European cruises very often are far more about sightseeing. They're about city visits. They're about taking in sites, very often historic sites, iconic sites that you've seen in books, that you've read. And there, there is a perception, and I think it is by and large true to a large extent, that a, a European cruise is more intensive in terms of the sightseeing, in terms of the walking, in terms of the historic sites. Absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about cities like Rome, Barcelona, Marseille, you know, these are ports with so much history in them that unlike other ports, I mean, when you're talking about St. Thomas, look, and there's a little history involved, but it can be done in about 30 minutes to you know, an hour. And, and, these island, and in these ports in Europe, you can spend days literally exploring these. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot more involved, not just in terms of what to see, but you know what you got. You actually have to pick because there's so many great things to go and see in all these cities here. Um, now you know you're you're taking your particular cruise. You're taking Liberty of the Seas out of Barcelona, so you're doing a Mediterranean. It's a Western Mediterranean, I imagine. Yeah, it, it is the Western Mediterranean. It's probably the archetypal uh, most popular cruise you can really do in Europe. We're leaving Barcelona. We go from Barcelona to Marseille, then to uh, Villefranche, uh, from where we'll visit Nice, Ez and Monaco. Then we go from there to La Spezia, which is in northern Italy. Now, you do have the opportunity of going to uh, Pisa or Florence from there, but uh, we've elected on this occasion uh, to leave Pisa and Florence. We're going to go and see the Cinque Terre, those five wonderful villages which are just on the clifftops overlooking the Ligurian Sea, and we'll visit uh, the Cinque Terre. Rome then, Civitavecchia is the port for Rome. We're going there the next day. Now, I, I've been in Rome several times, uh, both uh, on cruises and on land holidays. So what we're actually going to do on this occasion is get off the ship in the morning, take a walk around Civitavecchia itself, then go back to the ship for lunch and just enjoy what's going to be an almost empty liberty of the seas for a few hours and just uh, relax 
because the next day is Naples, which is really my bucket list uh, cruise for Europe because I've always wanted to go to the ruins of Pompeii. And we're spending the morning in Pompeii, then visiting Sorrento and uh, Positano in the afternoon. So Pompeii is, is the big one, but then going down to Sorrento and driving the Amalfi Coast. So we're going to be one of the few people that actually take Rome as a rest. For most people, Rome is going to be the maddest day of the week. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, there's so much to see. Rome, man, I'd love to get out there because there's so much. I love history and I love exploring. These are, I mean, these are places that, you know, just like you said earlier, there's so much uh, historical uh, events that have occurred in these places. And the thing I got to wonder, though, especially for you as, as, as a European, Donald, why why choose a cruise over a land vacation where, like, you know, if you were to spend a week in Rome and explore these cities, what 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 brings you to take a Royal Caribbean cruise over a land vacation? Initially, what got us involved in cruising was we just wanted to do something different. Um, our children had hit their teens. We never brought them on foreign holidays. Uh, what would be big in, in these parts would be sort of package holidays where you get on a plane, you fly to somewhere like Mallorca, you stay there for a week in the sun beside a pool and then you fly home. That never really appealed to me. I liked the idea of city breaks. I liked the idea of uh, getting in some history, getting in some sightseeing and relaxing as well. And what I loved about cruising when we looked into it was the fact that you could have the two. You could have relaxation. You could have that sense of detachment and that sense of being alone and that sense of being far away from everything and everyone and being truly on holiday. But at the same time, you got to visit cities. You got to see iconic locations. And uh, when the opportunity to take our first cruise came up in 2008, we did a five-nighter on the Navigator of the Seas, again out of Barcelona. Barcelona, taking in basically Cannes, Livorno, Civitavecchia and a day at sea. Very short cruise, but the fact that we were able to see over the course of a number of days the Leaning Tower of Pisa, to visit several sites in Rome, again with our children this time, which was lovely to be able to bring them on that cruise, that it gives you that perfect balance of being able to take in the history, but at the same time relaxing and being on holiday. And I think too, when it comes to cruising, and certainly when it comes to Royal Caribbean, the bottom line is the value for money is unbeatable. And when you're on a tight budget, I cannot think of a better holiday in terms of value, but at the same time, hitting all the needs in terms of a really good experience. Well said, absolutely. I mean, I think you brought up some very good points, especially that value thing. And it doesn't matter if you're cruising Caribbean, Europe, anywhere, Asia. I mean, I really feel like that. Again, cruising in general has been such a great value. And boy, Royal Caribbean, I've said this many, many times, I really feel they have that balance between what you pay for and what you get. And and it sounds like they're it's exactly the same kind of experience there in Europe. It is, absolutely. I mean, I think if, if you sit down and, for instance, we have cruised, our first three cruises, we took our two teens with us. They were actually our first cruise. It was our, our daughter was 15 and we left on our son's 14th birthday. So we took the two teens on our first three cruises. Our last cruise was just a short cruise on adventure. Uh, we did that on our own. And on this occasion, um, we're going on our own again. This will be our first week-long cruise, just uh, the two of us. And I have to say, I'm really, really looking forward to that. But there is no doubt in terms of the four of us each got what we wanted out of the holiday. And the interesting thing was we each got something slightly different. They got the, um, the teen club uh, in Adventure Ocean. They got to hang around with their own peers. There was one lovely moment on Navigator on our first cruise where I was up on deck with my wife that evening. It was in around about the half nine, ten o'clock mark. And uh, a group of teens ran past us with a video camera and they were obviously on one of these scavenger hunts that they'd gone from uh, Adventure <laughs> Ocean on. And uh, she turned to me and she said, you see that guy there? He's the spitting image of Kieran, who was our son. 
And I looked at her and I said, look again. And she went, oh, bloody hell, it is Kieran. And the <laughs> fact that he was just, I think he basically would say good morning to us uh, at breakfast and uh, we'd meet him um, for tea. And uh, in the meantime, he was just off doing his own thing, meeting people. And each of us got something completely different out of it. And each of us got away from that first holiday thinking, yeah, we're coming back. Definitely. Uh- that's a great story, and I'll tell you, we've all had similar experiences like that, that kind of like, it's that moment when you get it, right? When you're like, yeah, I not only do I understand why people do this, I want to be one of those people, and I want to keep coming back again and again and again, so I totally understand that. Let me ask you this, though. Um, when Obviously, you and I, we both speak English, and there's, a, I think, most of our listeners probably speak English as well, given that this podcast is only in one language, but I know that a lot, of, especially for Americans... European cruise, you're going to be dealing with a lot of other people. It's not just uh, Brits on board. It's not just Irish on board. It's people from uh, France, Spain, you know, Germany, all over the world really come here. And I think European cruises have more non-English speakers maybe than North American cruises. Oh, the two, definitely. Yeah. The norm, the norm would be the announcements would be in four languages. What you will get is you'll get the announcements will be made uh, initially in English then they'll be made in Spanish, then French, and then German. And as well as that, a lot of the time what you'll get, and we would have had it on, this will be our third cruise out of Spain. We cruised out of Barcelona uh, on Navigator, and on Adventure we cruised out of uh, Tuz Malaga, was the port we cruised out of on that occasion. And on both those occasions, every time the cruise director went on stage, the assistant cruise director was uh, a a native speaker of Spanish. So everything the cruise director said would be translated by the assistant cruise director. Now, some some people found that off-putting. I, I never did. I, I don't think it's yeah. an issue. Um, again, the captain would do the standard announcement at 12 noon every day, the weather report and so on. Uh, the cruise director speaks uh, over the air, uh, it, as, as always happens, except on this occasion, once the cruise director or captain has uh, made their announcement in English, then you'll have it repeated in Spanish, you'll have it repeated in French, you'll have it repeated in German. I mean, if anything, I think that actually adds to the mystique of the holiday. It adds to that feeling that you're someplace different, that you're doing some something different, that you're away from the norm. The fact that you're interacting with people from different cultures, from different languages, the fact that you're hearing different languages being spoken, I think it adds to that international experience. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I was just thinking, when you mentioned that, when we when I was on Jewel the Seas out of San Juan, Puerto Rico, they did the same thing. They did announcements in English, and then they did it right after that in Spanish, because obviously a lot of people there are from Puerto Rico. And you know, it makes it 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 works. It's just and it's kind of cool, you know. Especially I think especially on Jewel, I'm pretty sure the same person did the English and Spanish, which was pretty good because they got the inflections and the accent pretty well for both languages. So an an interesting take on it. And so, but I I think you would agree. That it's not something to avoid or be, be concerned about that you're going to be like the only English speaker on there. Oh, Lord, no. Um, yeah. I mean, there'll be, it's probably usually on the, the cruises out of Spain, um, Americans, uh, British, Irish will probably be slightly in the majority. The one we did out of Malaga, it happened that it was a, a short cruise on what would have been a holiday weekend in Spain. So there was a slight majority of Spanish people on board on that occasion. But again, it, it, it wasn't an issue. Uh, Spanish is a language you'll hear all over the ship. That isn't an issue. I believe, for instance, uh, cruising out of San Juan, um, and I just know this anecdotally, isn't there some form of a when a, a young girl hits 15, there's a, a special sort of a, like a, a, a debutante coming out yeah. as such. And, and one yeah, of the like, things they do is they cruise. And sometimes if, if you go on the right sailing, you can have the ship absolutely full of 15-year-olds and their families. And I'm sure that can be a very interesting experience too. Yeah, Quinceanera. 
is uh, is an event for them. Yeah, it, it, you're right. The shorter the cruise, the more likely that you're going to have locals showing up there because, after all, they're going to be the ones who can take advantage of those, uh, especially those last-minute deals, off-season cruises, that kind of thing. Makes perfect sense. Uh, before we let you go here, I want to make sure I get a couple things in because we want to talk about your upcoming Liberty cruise. Why did you pick this particular cruise? The reason we picked it was uh, last year we were discussing uh, what we were going to do in uh, 2014 because this year happened to be my 50th birthday. Now, my, my birthday actually fell in May. Um, there were, Actually, I put a picture of my birthday cake up on, 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 on the, the forum, the, the, the message board, because, uh, as it happens, uh, my son organised a Royal Caribbean-themed cake for me, which uh, turned out absolutely beautiful. Um, so the picture of my cake is actually on the, the message board. Um, and we were planning what we were going to do. Um, my sort of bucket list cruise that I wanted to do was Norwegian Fjords. But that was sailing in May and uh, I work as a journalist and there were local elections coming up in May. So I couldn't, I knew I wouldn't get time off around about then. So we said, right, well, we'll do the Mediterranean. My wife has always wanted to visit Monaco, um, which I have done too. And as I said, I've always wanted to visit Pompeii. So we thought about it and we looked and we thought, right, we'll take the Liberty Cruise because that's the, the standard Royal Caribbean. She gets to visit Monaco. I get to visit Pompeii. We both get what we want. Next year, she turns 50. And I have an awful uh, feeling in my mind that uh, what we're doing next year actually is uh, following in your footsteps and taking Jewel out of San Juan because she wants to go to Barbados. That's <laughs> a great cruise, but and you got to make you got to keep the wife happy, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. uh, we have never been in New York either. So what we're planning on thinking of doing next year, and it's only very much just a thinking, but you know yourself, you have to start thinking a long way out on these things. We're thinking maybe fly to New York, take two nights in New York, fly to San Juan, take a night in San Juan, do the dual cruise, and then happy days. Yep, absolutely. It's a great it's a great option, and they have lots of direct flights from New York to San Juan, which is really nice. So I think you got a good choice. Have you been on Liberty before? No, we have it on Freedom. Uh, so, okay. I mean, we, we know what to expect. We took Freedom, as I said, out of uh, Port Canaveral. So we, we have done Freedom, and uh, we're really looking forward now to Liberty. Yeah, Liberty. Of course, you have Saturday Night Fever on Liberty, which is a nice little touch, something different than you're going to get on Freedom. And uh, what, what stateroom category did you book? We booked Promenade on this occasion. Um, we're on the Promenade. It's just over the perfume shop, um, overlooking the, uh, the English pub. Um, this we we've now pretty much done the, the full thing because on our for, on, on Navigator we took a balcony and on Freedom we took a balcony. I know some people started insides and work up. We actually started in balconies and worked down. We did a vision cruise. We did a cruise on Vision in the Baltic and we took an inside. And then on our last cruise, this the short one we took. Uh, we, we we took it. Sorry, on on the Baltic one we took a it was a the ocean view we took. Then on our last one we took inside. We said we we go for the promenade on this one. So we have the promenade um, on, on the sixth floor on, on the, the Liberty. But I'm sort of coming toward uh, the view of those. And I know you had a recent episode on this, but uh, I'm, I'm tending toward the view that um, I'd rather uh, go inside and get more cruises than go balcony and have to cut back. Yeah, exactly. There's something to be said about having more cruises under your belt. You know, it's not like you're going to have a bad time in any of these inside cabins by any means. And Promenade is a great cabin. It's got lots of more room. It has a nice, I mean, you get great for people watching. And it's different. And and I think you're going to love it. And like you said, if you can save a little money and and that means an extra cruise or, or more spending money on your cruise, all the better, right? Yeah. Actually, it's something I have to say to you. And it's a point I've always meant to make to you about the ships. I know you've never been on anything smaller than Voyager. No, I've been, say, on, uh, oh, I've been on I Jewel. Said, yeah, we, we cruised, as I said, twice. Uh, actually, we, we cruised three times with our teens. They, our teens were with us on, on Navigator, 
on freedom and on vision. To this day, they say vision was their favorite ship. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you, the Jewel Disease is a beautiful ship. There's no question about it. It's just, you know, the there's a difference, I guess, in – I mean, they're different and uh, they're, they're very similar, obviously. And I'll tell you, the, the smaller ships have something, uh, a je ne sais quoi about them that they have that – I think it maybe it's just how they were built because these weren't built to be massive haulers of, of people. <laughs> these were just beautiful ships that, you know, all the glass and the views of the ocean, it's really tough to beat that. And, you know, that's what I really love about them. The, the smaller ships are not are not forgettable. They're not just like, oh, they're, they're there, but we don't really talk about them. They're great ships, in fact. And I always – people ask me, you know, Matt, should I go on, you know, Brilliance of the Seas or on Vision of the Seas? And especially all these ships, especially they've gotten refurbished lately. It's a wonderful oh. experience, and, and I think it's I, – I agree 100%. They're, they're wonderful. I would not hesitate to go back on a smaller royal smaller being relative term because we're still talking about you know 25 3000 3000 people that's still a lot of people oh of course and yeah i mean i loved yeah. vision it was a wonderful ship really, really i mean you know and i if had we gone on the the cruise i was looking at this year actually that norwegian one it would have been on legend and i would have been quite happy Ooh. to go on legend um, again, the division class again but um, as i say now i do want to go serenade class i, I do really have a and it isn't certainly class, no, it is, uh, it is Radiance class, sorry. Um, right. But I do I, I do have a, an, an interest in that class. It really does look good. So I, I, did love, I, I did love Vision. So the idea now of going on the Jewel really, really appeals. Absolutely. Well, we got just a couple of seconds here left. And of course, like all guests, Donald, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Yep. Favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? I would say main dining room, but I want to give a, a an honourable mention to one that rarely gets acknowledged, and that's the Promenade Cafe. I think they do some of the nicest sandwiches I've ever eaten. The cookies are to die for. And when it comes to sitting down over a coffee and people watching, there is not a better place than the Promenade Cafe. Totally agree. We go there. We walk by on the on the Royal Promenade, and I'll be I'll think to myself, nah, I'm not really going to get anything. I'm not hungry. And then I see the sandwiches, and I'm like, I'm going to get a sandwich. And oh, then I get two sandwiches and, and a cookie, because you have to, right? You have no choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so totally, I totally absolutely. agree. Preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? I'm not one much for alcohol. Um, I love the Virgin cocktails. There's one, I can't recall the name of it, but it's um, it's got pineapple in it that uh, I love. But I would say my favourite drink on a Royal Caribbean ship, and again, I suspect this will be the first time we get this answer, is the milkshake and Johnny Rockets. Ooh, that's a good choice. Yeah, I like that. It's one of the best things they do over there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. I go to Johnny Rockets as much for the milkshake and the apple pie as I do for the burgers. (laughs) Well done. Favourite port of call to visit? Best we've done has been St. Petersburg in Russia. Oh, why do you like that one so much? It was just in terms of the experience of, of visiting Russia, first of all, the tour we'd organized through one of the local companies was outstanding. And the the, the, the range of things you did from a trip, around, a bus ride around the city, then a visit to the Hermitage Museum, then a cruise up the River Neva, then a hydrofoil out to the gardens in Peterhof and those fountains in Peterhof, the Summer Palace, then a bus back in and a visit to a metro station in St. Petersburg. It was just a wonderful, wonderful tour of just a fascinating city. And really, again, that sense of otherness that when you're in a place like St. Petersburg, when you're in Russia, you know you're in somewhere unique that you've not been before. And uh, there is a really different experience about it. Absolutely. Lastly, favorite song on the radio or your iPod today? 
Favourite song at the moment is by Hamel on Trial, who's a, a singer from Syracuse in New York, and it's the title track to his latest album, The Happiest Man in the World. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. Well, Donald, thank you very much for all the great information. I think that a lot of people are going to be uh, find this actually helpful in terms of looking forward to a European cruise. And you know what? I, I'm hoping that we'll be getting a little more uh, coverage of European cruises, and, and hopefully we're going to have you back after you get back from Liberty of the Seas to discuss how your cruise went. Pleasure, Matt. Thank you very much indeed. Once again, I want to thank everybody listening to this podcast. I really appreciate your support of the podcast. And, you know, it really makes me feel so humbled, really, when I hear from you via Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, these great emails we're going to answer. So, once again, thank you. I love having such great and passionate friends as a part of this show. It really makes a difference. And we're going to start things out with an email from, of course, one of our good friends, Christopher Percy. He writes, in episode 60, Royal Caribbean on social media, the whole idea of social media is Greek to me. So listening to you and Joe Tolly opened my eyes. It certainly is a fast-moving and changing form of communicating, and at times can be overwhelming too. You know, the overwhelming thing, that's something that some people do pick up on, is there's a lot, especially if you really get invested in it and really become a part of the conversation that's going on via social media. But the key is to really pick, you know, what you're interested in, in learning about and kind of, you know, finding your friends and not overdoing it, just like anything, right? But thank you for the email, of course, Christopher. And we'll keep things rolling here with an email from Paul Jones of Marlowe, England. A couple quick questions. Can you inform me when the new dates are released for next year's cruises? The reason I ask is that I like to book our cruises 12 to 18 months in advance, and my wife and I are trying to book a Southern Caribbean cruise for March or April 2016. The reason we like to book this far in advance is because we live in England. This gives us up to 12 months to pay the cruise off and then six to eight months to pay for the flight, which helps us spread the full cost over 18 months. The problem I have is most of the ships are already full for these dates, and I'm finding it hard to accommodate us in the type of cabins we always book, usually deck 8, 9, or 10 midship balcony. I know cruises from the United States or cruises from the other side of the pond seem to be booked as soon as they are on sale. Why is this? So, if I knew the dates that were released, maybe I could get quickly on my required cruises. Great question, Paul. So, the reason why a lot of people do book things really quickly when the cruises become go on sale is for the exact reason you want, Paul. They want a specific sailing and they want a specific cabin and maybe even a specific stateroom number. And they want, they know what they like. I mean, Royal Caribbean does have, obviously, as all of us can prove, a very passionate fan base who are very much people who like to do the same cruises every year, who like to have the same vacation time every year, and they know what they like. And a lot of people are repeat cruisers. And if you go to these Welcome Back events for Crown and Anchor Society members, you'll often find people who have been on this, not only Royal Caribbean cruises in general quite a number of times, often it's that particular ship. And if you ask them, if you talk to them, they're probably staying in the same exact cabin all the time. Now, do you have to book your cruise 12 to 18 months in advance? Absolutely not. Of course, as everybody knows, you can go on the Royal Caribbean website right now and find plenty of availability between now and the next 30, 60, 90, 120 days and, and so on. But obviously, Paul is wants to pay off that cruise, which is a great idea, by the way, because obviously, the longer you book it in advance, the more time you have to pay it off. I love that idea, especially I just like the idea of not getting hit with one huge bill at the end of the cruise. That's the worst thing you can do. So to answer your question, Paul... Royal Caribbean usually releases its cruise dates for the next cycle of scheduling, usually in the late winter, early spring. As an example, in 2014, they released 2015-2016 schedule between the weeks of February 10th and April 7th, essentially. A couple other things were later on in the year, but really you're talking about a couple weeks in February and March and even a little bit into April. Now, this was last year. 
things change. Who knows? But they typically will follow that schedule more or less because they're pretty much on a cycle at this point. They're not going to change things up ter- terribly. And if I were you, I'd probably bet on that kind of a time frame. Now, they do release things in not only on a schedule, they also release them in phases, meaning first they'll come out will be summer, fall Caribbean cruises and cruises to Canada. And then the next week, you've got European cruises and Alaska cruises and then more Europe and more Europe and winter Caribbean, Hawaii, Australia. I mean, it, it kind of goes from there. And so basically, you're looking at the February time frame. Now, the other thing you might want to consider, Paul, and this is something I, I recommend a lot, is to use a travel agent because they can do this for you. You can tell them, hey, look, we, I know I can't book this cruise for 2017 right now, but I want to book it as soon as it comes out. And I need you to be on top of it so that when it comes out, you can let me know. Because travel agents usually get a big heads up from Royal Caribbean first. And then, you know, the the word sort of filters down to you know, blogs and, and, and whatnot. So they're going to know. And in fact, the, again, they'll be essentially paid, quote unquote, to do it for you. Because they're going to get the commission. The Royal Caribbean pays them, not you. And so for me, in a situation like this, let them, you know, babysit this date. I mean, it's something wrong with you being on top of things and, you know, maybe even nudging them, making sure you're both on the same page. But a good travel agent should be able to help you with this and make sure that they take care of it. It's packed right on that first day. You can tell them, hey, look, I want the sailing. I want this ship and probably this stateroom or these staterooms or this category. And they can definitely make that happen for you. So hopefully that will make it uh, easier for you, Paul. Paul also continues in his email. Also, when I do come across to the Caribbean, we're looking to fly into Miami and transfer to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, according to the flight times, the difference between landing in Miami and flying out again on your connecting flight to San Juan is approximately two hours. But I've been informed you have to collect your baggage and then go and recheck it back in, which takes a good part of those two hours, which means at a busy airport like Miami, you have to either run around like a loose chicken or you miss your connecting flight. I heard your comment on your weekly podcast that you recommended traveling one to two days before your cruise date. This is okay, but we'll have to have hotel accommodations booked, which leads to more costs. As you've stayed in hotels in Puerto Rico, can you inform us of what the prices are for two people staying one or two nights? With the help of your podcast, my wife have converted eight members of our family to cruising with Royal Caribbean. Many people across the pond love listening to your podcast, so keep up the good work and thank you. Paul, love that. Thank you so much for spreading the word. Oh, I love when we get new faces in here to join all of our friends that we've already come to know. And to answer your question, so yeah, I absolutely recommend staying at least a day or two in advance. First of all, it extends your vacation, which is always nice, but it just makes that whole getting there easier. You're flying to Miami, you have a connecting flight. Do you know how many problems can possibly go wrong with that, right? You know, plane, the first plane is late, the second plane is late, the second plane never arrives. There's a ton of things that can go wrong. And the last thing you want to be doing is literally like looking at your watch as you're like, oh gosh, are we going to make the cruise? Are we going to make the cruise? Are we going to make the cruise? No. Instead, you're flying in a day early, maybe two days early, and it's okay. Things happen. Look, it's not going to be great. You're not going to be like, hey, but it's it's so much easier on you. Trust me when I say it's so far less stressful than having to worry about it. So the cost of a hotel room, it depends on where you stay in San Juan. If you want to say downtown, we stayed at the Sheridan in Old San Juan, like perfect location. And that was about, I believe, somewhere in the ballpark of about around $200 per night. That was a one night thing. We're like, hey, we're going to do it. Cool. If you want to stay a little further out, or you can afford to stay a little further out in uh, Carolina and, and basically east of Old San Juan, not in Old San Juan, just the areas of San Juan outside of there, you can save a lot of money. In fact, your, your price per night is probably going to come down to about $100 or so. So you could do the math. I'm not going to convert the currencies for you. I'm sure, Paul, you, you know what I'm talking about there, but. That's pretty much standard. In fact, you can probably get some good deals, especially if you price things out. The The thing with hotels, and you got to learn, is I did this. I booked my Jewel of Seas cruise like, just like you, Paul. I booked it like a year and a half in advance. And when you look at prices a year and a half, I mean, they're just, they're either non-existent because you can't book them yet, or the prices that are there are ridiculous. You got to wait. 
Booking hotels, I would wait until probably somewhere in the ballpark of less than six months and probably closer to like three or four months because pricing on hotels is very much, uh, they really start to price them more aggressively as you get closer to your dates and they kind of see where they are in, in selling. So that'd be my recommendation. Don't worry about what the prices look like right now. Just you know, make a little note to yourself, hey, I got to book a hotel later on and do that a lot of closer. That's probably going to get you the best rate. I just think, again, because you've got all these different things going, you're flying across to the United States and you got to go to San Juan, there's just make it easier on yourself. Be able to relax. And if you're delayed two, three, four hours or more, and I hope that never happens, it's not the end of the world because you know what? It's all right. You still have all the entire next day to make it there or even more if you book another day in there. So hopefully that'll work out for you, Paul. And I, I wish you the best of luck. Next, we have an email from Derek Terry. Just gave you a five-star rating on the podcast. You deserve every star. Thanks for providing such great information in such a fun way. Keep up the good work. I'll be on Navigator of the Seas soon, and I never could have made it through these last eight months since I booked my cruise without getting my cruise fix from your blog and podcast. One of my goals for the cruise is to see every sunrise and sunset, but I'll be very happy if I see half of them. So my question to you is, where's your favorite place on Navigator of the Seas to watch the sunset or sunrise? Also, which one of the podcasts you mentioned ordering Indian food in the main dining room? Is there a separate menu or how do you order it? Two very good questions. And you know what, Derek, when I was on Navigator of the Seas, I, I told myself I was going to go get pictures of the sunset, sunrise. I always say I might, but I never wake up that early for it. So the thing, and and I went up there many many nights, and the best one actually ended up being, I believe, in Cozumel. That was the best. So part of the problem, of course, is cloud cover and your surroundings, of which you have very little control over. But you do the best you can. So assuming the weather is all right, the best place by far has got to be the 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 top deck, not even the pool deck above it. Deck eleven, if you can get up there, there's usually a great opportunity because there's not much in, from the ship blocking you. That's always where I went to get one. You can go to deck four, which is that deck that wraps around. It's got the shuffleboard. It goes all the way around the ship. That's fine, but I think the perspective is so much better. Because again, if the sun, depending on where the sun is and lifeboats, it, it's, it's, you get a much, you're elevated. So it's a lot of bit better to be on the pool deck and get those shots from there. So I would definitely recommend that. For the Indian food in the main dining room, I love to order this. So I do this because I love Indian food. And of course, on a Royal Caribbean ship, I want to get my money's worth and eat food that I'm interested in eating. And on the old menus they had in the main dining room, Indian food pretty much used to be on every single day of the menu. It was basically their go-to vegetarian meal. In the new menus, the Indian food did largely, I think there's maybe one or two nights, uh, but otherwise, it largely doesn't appear on the menu. However, you can absolutely positively still get it. So what you have to do is go talk to the head waiter. I usually go on embarkation day. I'll go talk to the head waiter after, of course, my trip to the Windermere, and I'll go down to the head waiter who's usually available to speak in the main dining room. There's set times, but usually after like one or two o'clock, depending on your ship, the head waiter's there. And you can go speak to him or her and tell them, hey, look, I'm I'm in this dining rotation. I'm at this table. I'd love to have Indian food. I was, I, I, I don't think it's necessary. I usually tell them I prefer Indian food just, you know, for health reasons. But you can just tell them, hey, look, I would just like to have a vegetarian item every night. And they can almost always accommodate you. Usually the first night, that night one, they may not be able to get it to you. But in which case, of course, you can go to the Windjammer and go get it up there yourself. But... Uh, every other night, they'll have it. The waiter will know it, and they'll bring it right to you. And if you forget to do it on an embarkation day, you're too busy or whatever, no big deal. As long as you talk to the head waiter at some point in your cruise, following that, you'll be able to get special something. In fact, the other thing is if you want something for like breakfast, because the main dining room is often open for breakfast, you can actually go get the same thing. You have a recommendation. So one of my things, my father loves having a fresh cut plate of sliced tomato, sliced cucumber, some olives, 
some onion, and some olive oil. So obviously that's not going to be in the main. You can't. You can find some of those items in the Windjammer, but by and large, it's just not available. So we, by the same token, told the the waiter. Waiter was like, no problem at all. Or the head waiter, rather. The head waiter said, no problem at all. And every morning we had that waiting for us. So you just have to ask. That's the thing. And they can do that for you. So head waiter is the key to getting this and, and any other requests you have taken care of. Let's go to our next email. It's from Paul Westbrook. Great show on taking better pictures. Thank you very much. A question for those of us that are not skilled that rely on cruise ship photographers. There seems to be a lot of confusion, even when calling Royal Caribbean with multiple rooms, the ages of the kids, and when they can no longer be linked to parents' rooms for one package price. Can you clear this up? Thanks for everything. So, great question, Paul. And honestly, I don't know 100%, but I'm going to make an educated guess. And here's the thing. You can't book a Royal Caribbean cruise unless you're at least 18 years old. That's kind of the rule. So, like... If you if a 16-year-old wanted to book a cruise by themselves, like for whatever reason, they can't do it. You have to be at least 18 years old. So I'm going to guess, at the very least, you have to be 18 before you have to – you can't do that. Now, you can, of course uh, – you can take your – you as an adult could take your 16-year-old son or daughter with you on a cruise or even your 17-year-old. But they would still require an adult, in which case that's you, someone over the age of 18, to be in the stateroom. So I'm going to go with 18 years old. And if anyone knows a different way or, or I'm incorrect, please let us know. Matt at Royal Caribbean blog.com. And you know what? I think we're going to wrap things up here with our last email. And here's it's from Dawn Oots of Avon, Indiana. Hello to the podcast. I'm a fairly recent listener, but I've all caught up now. My question is about Freedom of the Seas. We'll be cruising in her in June 2015, and I've already been reading rumors of her upcoming dry dock that I think is scheduled for January. Any information to the changes, her dynamic dining and Sabor are additions coming up. Thanks again for the great podcast. So Dawn, great question. You are correct. You're Rumors have are true, or the rumors you heard are true, whatever it may be. The good news is Freedom of the Seas is due for a dry dock refurbishment in January, but Royal Caribbean has been very, very, very tight-lipped about what's going to be changing. So as of the recording of this podcast, we don't know, and you could speculate as much as you want. I would love to see Sabor come on there. Now, of course, for those of you who've been keeping up with the vlog in the last week or so, you probably noticed the list of changes that are coming to Oasis of the Seas, and they're getting dynamic dining. I honestly, my gut feeling is I don't think Freedom will be getting dynamic dining. I could be wrong, but I really don't think that's in the cards for right now, especially for this dry dock session coming up. I just don't see it. If they do, it'll be a major surprise to me and I'll be corrected. But I I think it's mostly going to be sprucing up maybe some restaurant changes. I think that you could pretty much bank on, especially the removal of Portofino, which is just going across the whole fleet. So that's pretty much you can bank on that one. I would love to see Sabor come in there. You can pretty much bet on Izumi coming in somewhere because, again, Freedom of the Sea still has the Jade section of the Windjammer, and the tendency is to get rid of the Jades and have Izumi offer the sushi. So that would probably be something you could also bet on. But otherwise, it's, it'll be a real tough thing. I mean, you could make maybe a new broad, maybe a new Broadway show altogether because they don't have one currently. There's a lot of possibilities. And of course, whenever I have any information, Dawn, I will post it on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com for you to check out. And it shouldn't be too much longer. I think the news will start coming in sooner or later uh, about what's going to be coming on Freedom, especially in the last couple months leading up to that. Don't forget, Freedom is in, or Oasis of the Seas is in dry dock right now, and we just got information about what's going to be replacing it just uh, here and during this week. So. We still got some time, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective. So thank you, Don. And of course, want to hear from you as well. I love getting these emails. I love making you guys, all of you, my friends, a part of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. So please email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Love to hear from you. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again soon.